Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 24 of the 7am novelist March March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we hear from an author that I just love. Randy Susan Myers is talking to us about building believable antagonists. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. So nice to be here with you. I know. Thank you so much for being on the show. The drama of Randy Susan Myers' internationally best-selling novels, including The Accidents of Marriage, The Widow of Wall Street, and The Comfort of Lies, is informed by over 20 years of working with families impacted by emotional and physical violence. The Massachusetts Center of the Book chose three of her novels as must-read books and finalists for the Massachusetts Book Awards. The Murderer's Daughters, her debut novel, was chosen as one book, one community read by the combined Jewish philanthropies, see, this early in the morning, I can't speak long words, um, of Boston, the combined Jewish philanthropies of Boston. Myers lives in Boston with her husband. She teaches at Boston's Grub Street and writer in progress in Northampton, Massachusetts. All right, Randy, thank you so much for being with us. Building believable antagonists is what we're talking about today. Um, why are you why are you interested in antagonists and where do you even start when you think about building believable antagonists? The main thing I focus on that I believe people should focus on is this. Everybody is the star of their own show, including bad guys. And bad guys do not think of themselves as bad guys. They are the stars of their own bad guy show. I like to get inside the skin of anybody I'm writing about. And if I do a point of view character who is, has villainous characteristics, I have to find out who they are and be inside them and understand the story they tell themselves. We all tell ourselves a story to forgive ourselves or to um, extrapolate as to why we're doing what we're doing. And that's yeah. where I start from is their people. Yeah, I love that because, well, we think of antagonists. Well, I don't even know if a lot of writers think, okay, that's the villain of my book or that's the antagonist of my book. Normally, they're just someone operating out of their own um, desires and intentions, and they will work against your protagonist. And usually, oftentimes, we have a mix of antagonists. Um, but sometimes when you have someone who is really kind of unsavory, <laughs> Um, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, we've all, you know, reaching into yourself, I think, and and finding some compassion for the for the things that they do, because I think all of us, sadly, think bad thoughts. I'll admit, I think bad thoughts. I think we all think bad thoughts. Um, And and go through, you know, I don't know, jealousies and anger and whatever. We can all kind of imagine ourselves getting to that place where the antagonist might get to, we just might not make the final decisions that they make. You know, we would go left and step off and, you know, I don't know, go to therapy. And then the the antagonist goes the other direction. Um, So getting yourself into that mode of, of, and compassion. And I think finding yourself in the antagonist can, can, I think, be really helpful. So what do you do in terms of when you're building and thinking about the antagonist? So the first off is realizing that they're human beings. And, and then where do you go from there? I work to access whatever it is in myself or my past and use that and expound upon it to become that person. Because I really, I do have an ability to sort of become my characters while I'm writing them. And I remember 
I always remember something that I heard Tayari, Tayari Jones say, which is you don't have to have been in an avalanche to write about it, but it's really helpful to have been stuck in an elevator. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think about, I, I made some very bad decisions when I was young and did some things that were, I was a shoplifter when I was very young. I stole a coat with a fur collar from Bloomingdale's in New York City when I was 16 years old. Yeah. Um, and it was a re- actually a very funny story. I got caught shoplifting in Woolworths when I was nine. And so I know that feeling of being in the hall, being led to the back of the store and a guy saying to me and my friend, Ricky, why are you here? Um, why are you out of school? Yeah. And I was shaking. Uh, and I said, it's a Jewish holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back was probably a pretty stupid thing to say. Um but I think about that and I think what allowed me to do that? Even yeah. after I was caught, what allowed me? What was the story I told myself? And then with my, like, for instance, in The Widow of Wall Street, I wrote from the point of view of a character modeled on Bernie Madoff. Right. So I had to get into that point of view. And I build and build on everything that happens to somebody that leads them to the point where they can tell themselves the story that they deserve to do what they're doing. Yeah. And I worked with criminals for a long time. Right. And the boy, do they ever have way they will talk your ear off. If you were me, Randy, you would have done the same thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it all comes together to understand exactly who, who, why we do what we do. I have a lot of compassion for it. Yeah. And I've actually found that writers, this is particularly young writers that aren't able to round out their more difficult characters, their more problematic characters, they they there there's something going on with them that they're they're not willing to go there emotionally, um, and they're going to have to they're going to have to work through that and probably and that's oftentimes really young writers they need to live it a little bit more to realize that there's there's something more than just the black and white and good and bad and um, working here. So I People, love that question. Yo, go ahead. Go ahead. There's also a huge willingness to not be able to flick that reader on your shoulder off. Yeah. The mother, people will think this is me if I write about this. I mean, I once uh, was where people were asking an author what she drew on. She said, nothing, nothing. There was nothing of me in there. I'm thinking, yeah, it reads like it. Um, <laughs> right. I, didn't, I didn't say that. Um, but what I tell my students is this. Yes, people will think it's you. I know that about at this point. People will think I'm the rapist. People will think I'm the murderer. People will think I had the affair. My husband had an affair. Everybody in my life had an affair. Give it up because they will think it's you and then just go for it. Right. Randy Susan Myers is Bernie Madoff. I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real reveal. Um, I, I love the question that you were asked at the back of that store at the shoplifting, why are you here? Um, and that is a, that's a fabulous question to ask your antagonist. Why are you here to kind of go back um, and to put yourself in that, even that scared or that defensive mode? Um, I think that's amazing. What, so writing Bertie Madoff, that's a big one. What were some difficulties you had in, in bringing him to life? Well, also a well-known figure. Yes. And I was, I was fascinated. I wrote a Romana Clay based on that story. Right. 
And I was fascinated by that story from the very second that it came out. And what I was fascinated with was the wife. And I was going to write that all from her point of view. You know, what is it like when everything in your life is built on sand? It's all make-believe. But as I was writing it, the husband figure was like hammering at the door. And I said to myself, you know, the other fast, I can't tell anything from the wife's point of view about what's happening behind the screen. So I went into it and I found out as I often do, because I I did this also in the accents of marriage wrote from the husband's point of view, that it's freeing. Yeah. Right. From somebody very different than yourself. I, I not like I enjoyed it. I could walk in those things and then feel why I was allowing myself as Jake was his name to do those things. Yeah. And how I was able to do that was to say there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. I believe after working with criminals for so long, we are all on a continuum between good and evil, if you want to bring it down. And we all go somewhere on that. And if you let yourself imagine yourself forward a little worse or a little better, um, it can be a very interesting experience. And in that particular case, that character really never learned. And right. so I, he wasn't in the entire book. At a certain point, his point of view left. So yeah. I only walked in his shoes for about a quarter or a half of the book. Yeah. The main way I was able to do it was by being really honest with myself. Like, okay, if you just take away that one stopper, yeah, I guess you can go there. Right. And so, so, but it's really important to you that a character learns or that there's change because that creates a round character. Well, except that in this case, it was really a challenge because this character did not learn just yeah. as the real Bernie made up. Um, he was punished though. Right. Um, right. And then he drifted out of the story and then it became just the wife's story the whole time. So he, we were able to see him leave with the same sense of self-entitlement as he always walked with. Now, in another book, The Accents of Marriage, where I had a character who was an emotionally abusive husband, he did learn and he did change. Mm. Um, And that was, but he still got punished. What was, what I loved about that book was how many people said, well, you know, I kind of liked him. I was attracted to him. And I thought, yes, I did a good job. Perfect. Perfect. Because we also, we have to be interested. We have to be intrigued. And yeah, even like them is really interesting. Yeah. So some some comments in the chat, which I think are interesting. Susan says that she finds antagonists easier to write about. I, they are because they're generally less you or, uh, and, and so therefore they can be, you can go into such depths of yourself. Yes. Um, you can take the very worst squirmiest parts and let it out there pretending it's just them. Um, and, and whereas the protagonists are often have more qualities that we consider are good ones. Yeah. And someone else said, it's so freeing to write about a character different from yourself. I actually, every time I've written about a character, particularly a contemporary character, a woman who's around my age, I get completely stuck. I can't do it. 
there's something that flattens, there's something that I can't see. Um, and, and I just, I have to stop. So I really have to reach out to these people that are very, very different from me. Um, this is also why I don't write nonfiction. Um, <laughs> um, someone says in the chat, this is interesting, or do we go out and shoplift? <laughs> To understand our characters as actors often go, do you, have you ever in terms of research, <laughs> have you ever done some interesting research to help understand your antagonist? Well, luckily I've done enough bad stuff in my life that I'm pretty much set on that. And I think you can find something small and blow it up. Or if you actually have nothing, maybe you'll write it, you'll, you won't explore that side as much, but here's my little tip for how I really um, round out my characters. A lot of people go and talk with people and, you know, I might do that, but I am a big memoir reader. Yeah. So for every novel I write, I probably read 30 to 40 memoirs. Huh. So for instance, when in Accents of Marriage, I had a character who had traumatic brain injury. Right. So I read every single memoir I could find. And there are a lot of them of people yeah. who come through a traumatic brain injury. And after that novel, a lot of people asked me if I was a nurse who worked with TBI patients. Um, so that was that was fun. And that way, I feel like I don't get just one point of view. Yeah. I could have 30 or 40 people to draw. I steal people's lives, Michelle. Yeah. Well, I think any good fiction writer steals yeah. people's lives. Yeah. yeah. I've been uh, researching mothers that have gone through postpartum psychosis lately. I have never had a child. So oh. <laughs> that is a stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, going through those first person accounts, memoirs, diaries, you can find there's so much, I mean, so much rich material that you can find. And as an historical novelist, I can also find that stuff. You know, I can find old letters and diaries pretty easily these days to get the voice, to get what they're thinking of, to get their their, their different thinking patterns than I would normally expect. And it's kind of a way to become them as you also see them in yourself. Um, yeah. The other thing I do is go to First Source. I have a stack like this of old magazines I've gotten from like eBay yeah. from the 40s up to now. And to, to put myself back in whatever particular place is going on to, to see what's around the person. Right. Um, even if it's 10 years ago, it's, it's like, oh, oh. That's right. And I, I'm a big user of archives. Right. Exactly. exactly. Um, and then so someone's asking in the chat what, what work you did. Um, I think when you were working with with criminals or meeting with um, do you want to talk more about that? I mean, did you I think you did that work before you started to write or have you have you? Oh, no, that was, yeah, that was before. Um, yeah. The most recent thing that I did was I worked for a batterer intervention program. I was the assistant director and I ran groups. And this was for offenders um, in domestic violence who were ordered to the program where they would be in for a year. And there was a curriculum I followed, but there was a, an awful lot of just back and forth. And it was a group um, and they came once a week and it was... Um, an eye-opening experience, especially yes. in terms of their humanity. I'm sure I was drawn there because my father tried to kill my mother. And although I don't remember it because I was very young when it happened, I, I witnessed it. Uh, so I guess my fascination with criminals goes way, way, way back. And before then I ran a community center in Mission Hill where I also live. 
and got to work with a lot of young men who were uh, often off the straight and narrow. Um, so it's sort of been my milieu for a long time and I'm very comfortable in it, which I don't know what that says about me, but I found that the guy, you know, people say, aren't you scared working? And like, no. Um, and sidebar, I was a bartender for uh, quite a few years oh. in Michigan Health. And boy, you want to get an education in about guys, you go to, you work as a bartender where you become invisible. God yeah. bless. Um, so it sounds like, and this is also why I really love to work with writers who um, have some living experience under their belt, because I just think they are able to to get into their characters and broader imagination. And, um, you know, also, I love the young folks, too. But but getting that living experience is so, so important. Um, and I was interviewing. So a friend of mine came out with a short story collection called But Now Am Found, uh, Patricia Horvath. And we did a um, session last night at uh, Porter's, uh, Porter Square Books. Um, and she talked about, um, she's gone through quite a few things in the last few years, including the death of her husband. Um, she talked about writing into interruptions, using those interruptions um, in your life to, to, to write into them, to, to actually use them in your fiction instead of allowing them to take you off course and, and to stop writing altogether, uh, which, which I kind of love. So the, the woman she was talking about, she, she had kids and they, she felt that all these having kids was interrupting her writing life. And she realized, no, these kids are my writing life. Um, and I need, I need to lean into this as well. So I also think, you know, when, when bad things happen, when, when things go off course, writing into those interruptions, using those interruptions. Because since you've started, you've written quite a few books now, um, though you say a lot of your experience working with um, doing that that more difficult work happened before you started writing. What have you done more recently? Or have you just like been able to delve into the writing? Well, this is going to make me look about as uneducated as I am. And it's something I talk about with my students a lot. TV. Yeah, there are some brilliant shows out there, especially for getting into antagonists. And if you watch Breaking Bad from begin, I don't know if you know how many of you have seen it. I don't know if you've seen it, Michelle. Yeah. It is like a um, a doctorate in writing antagonists, believable, yeah, sympathetic antagonists. And the and I, I just had a, a moment where I can't remember the name of the brilliant writer who. Everything he's, oh, I can't, somebody write down the name of the writer, Vince, yeah. Vince Gilligan. Ah. Vince Gilligan is brilliant. And I've watched everything he has had to say about how he planned and wrote that show, him and his uh, co-writer. But we have characters, we have at least three main characters there who we are very bad. I mean, very, very bad. Yeah who we feel sympathy for, for a long, long time in that show. Yeah. Um, and so that is something. And so I tell my students and I tell myself, as you are watching a show, really think about, and you're feeling sympathy for the devil. Think about why, what is this writer done to make you feel sympathy? And that has been something that has really helped me that the Sopranos are two that I think about. And the, um, and the other thing I do is take books I've read 
and then listen to them on mm -hmm. audio while I'm cooking, while I'm cleaning, you know, while I'm walking. And one in particular that struck me as um, brilliant is Frankenstein. I listened to it and I hadn't yeah, probably read that, you know, 45,000 years ago and listening to how Frank, how the monster is crafted and how you feel for that was just brilliant. Yeah. And, and so I do a lot of analysis of what I'm reading and writing. I feel like I've lived enough. Thank you very much. I've had, you know, <laughs> well, in the monster and Frankenstein, I actually think is more sympathetic than, than the doctor. Much more sympathetic. Um, much. And, and the way that is done is just, it's a howl of, of sadness. And most good antagonists have a howl of sadness inside them. When you see a flat villain, it's just not that interesting. Yeah. And that howl of sadness, I love thinking about it that way because that's the brokenness in the character that we as readers can relate to. Um, no matter how else, how else they are different from us, we can relate to that brokenness, that sadness. It might be on different levels, but we can definitely go there. Something else I also talk to people about is finding the crucible for their characters. So crucible is an idea, it's, it's a, that you're actually, it's a, it's a, an idea from playwriting that it's actually a, a pot that that is holding in everything that's boiling up. Um, so if you, locking your, your antagonist inside a crucible. So this includes all those howling, boiling feelings. Um, but it also includes, and I think in Breaking Bad, Jesse for me was the most interesting character. And he, it felt like he was just locked Yep. in this situation and couldn't get out of it. So um, both because of his own, um, you know, faults in his character, but also his need for money. Um, his um, He was also sometimes doing his actions for other people. So that crucible can involve that other people that you need to to be doing things to for um, and that you actually need to um, have feel a sense of duty to them. Um, it can be money, it can be time, um, it can be making up for your own past. Um, anything that locks your character into a situation, because otherwise we might get kind of annoyed by oh, why are they doing this? Or and this is a true for even protagonists. You're always looking for that crucible again. So again, Susan, the definition is basically um, it's you're creating a, a pot in which to hold all the boiling plot um, and it and it needs to have all it needs to have all sides to hold your protagonist or antagonist inside it when things get hot when things get difficult and it also needs to have a lid so that your protagonist or antagonist is locked into that situation and they cannot get out because um, otherwise we'll be like well, why don't they just leave why don't they just go you know, and we can get really annoyed at that if they don't I, leave the situation. I often think of crucible uh, as a diamond or coal. What's going to happen? You have yeah. the it's pressure, 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 and is that pressure going to break the yeah. character, or is it going to turn them into something finer? And yeah. Jesse's a great example. Jesse versus um, Walt. I mean yes. Walt. Sorry for, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> Walt explodes. He does not become a diamond. Um, yeah, Walt became less interesting to me, really. 
Yeah. Um, but so in that, and so again, with the crucible, you're turning up the fire, you're turning up the pressure, but you, they also have no exits. You have to block those exits. So let's say you have a woman living in a house and she's got kids and the next door neighbor is beginning to sniff around those kids a little too closely. Um, and she's actually afraid that the next door neighbor is going to do something to those kids. Now, some of us will be like, sell the damn house and get out of the neighborhood. <laughs> get out of there. Okay. And if, if she seems to have money and means or time to be able to do that, and she doesn't move out of that house, the reader is going to get crazy. Um, so you need to have reasons why she has to stay in that house. Again, um, maybe it's the family house. Maybe she doesn't have money. Maybe her kids love something about the house. So they have to go to that school. Maybe she has a sense of duty to someone else that lives in that house, but locking her into um, that moment. Okay, so we've got other questions. Juliet is asking, do you have suggestions for a character that seems hard to enter, that doesn't have self-knowledge and isn't introspective and tells herself a simple story about how to go deeper? Well, at that point, I would probably stop and say, okay, self, this is me talking to myself. Nobody's yeah. simple. Everybody has an interior life. Yeah. So do, I would do a, I'm not big on doing exercises I'm uh, uh, because, you know, I, I am somebody who doesn't like to go deep into herself, which is probably why I do it in my writing. Right. So I would do a pretend thing that no one in the whole world is going to see this. You're going to eat this paper afterwards and write what's going on interior in this person. If this person was writing a letter of hatred towards somebody, what would it be? I think it's important to remember this about protagonists and antagonists. Everybody has an interior life. Yeah. We might hide it, but we all got it. Yeah. And so I think when, you, when we think about, okay, a character who doesn't have a lot of self-knowledge and isn't introspective, I've also written a lot about characters like, like or who appear on the surface to be like that. Um, characters that just want to work work the land and don't have a lot of time to think, don't have a lot of time for navel gazing. Um, you know, they're they're tired, they're they they they're physical people. Um, but they still have that inner life. There's still there's still something going on there, and there's still probably stories that they're telling themselves, including what work means to them or how it feels to them. I would say if you if you're facing an, a character like that 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 you're you're having trouble having knowledge about them, but it's there. I think you I think you need to dig into the character more. It's a block from between you and the character. It's not it's not within the character. Um, and so I would I would keep trying to dig in and think about those stories that they tell themselves. I think it's I think it's there. Go to the Sopranos. They have a lot of minor characters who seem just flat until suddenly there's a backstory on them. And I'm talking about the minor characters in or the less yeah. big. And then you find out what's making them tick. That's another example of a brilliantly written show where we have so many facades and then what's back there. Again, yeah. TV. Watch TV yeah. for homework. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I would really challenge yourself, you know, are there some characters? So it sounded like with that one character that you said he stopped learning. So you you basically had to stop writing about him. Are there some characters that I feel like if I can't get inside a character, then I need to get rid of that character. 
that that can well, just not. Oh, you mean get rid of it from the book yeah, completely? That, that character, yeah. Unless I can really figure them out. If I'm hitting a really big block, now I'm interested in people naturally, so I'll probably keep trying to hit my head and figure that out. But I also, in the end, might be like, okay, this character is not working in my book. I'm just going to get rid of this character. Well, this my character, this character, the Jake character, the Mater character, did work for me. Yeah. He believed in what he was doing to the very end. He just his big thing was anger at the world, anger yeah. at what they had done to his parents. He had to prove he was not less than because his parents had gone through you know, being arrested and blah, blah, blah. So his thing was even within the jail, he had to take on that role of victimhood. Yeah. And to the outside and become a big man in jail. So yeah. he continued. So sometimes we have to see how people continue on their chosen path and that path changes, but we're, we're still seeing the, it doesn't work for, it's a learning experience for the reader yeah. For me as the writer. And it's why I think fiction makes reading a lot of fiction makes people more empathic. I mean, that's been, been shown. And that's why you you read this character, you don't want to be them. They're not glamorous, but they're interesting. That's what I was thinking. Are they interesting? Are they interesting? So I think a character that you can't get inside of might just, you're not, you feel like you need to use that character, but they aren't interesting enough to you. Yeah, um, no, I have to have a character that's all. Well, if my characters aren't interesting, then yeah, get out of my get, get off my page. I don't need Jen. Get, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, we're gonna have to wrap up, but I wish we could keep talking, uh, Randy. So you, everyone, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on your favorite podcast platform. We did a whole 50 days back in the fall. You can find all of those and there's a lot of a juicy material there. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. So Randy, are you gonna be able to get some writing done today? Well, I'm actually starting teaching at 10.30 till about 1.30. So um, if I get any writing done today, it'll be a little bit of research. I'll watch TV. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And I hope you're able to get to your desk. It is time to write. 